Spring is back. It's warmer. It doesn't rain quite as much. We've had a couple of days without rain, which is exciting. And with spring, we have the return of baseball. I got to watch my beloved Yankees play the Cleveland Guardians this year, and that was the first live Yankees game I've been to in a long time. The last one was in Cincinnati, so uh, we've been in the Midwest for a long time, and now we're a little bit closer to Yankee Stadium, but it's still, still a bit of a drive, isn't it? So it's exciting to be able to see them when we can. That was Liam and Luca's first Yankees game, my grandsons, so I'm glad that they are in their pinstripes and going to wear their navy blue for the rest of their lives. The Yankees, unfortunately, are not off to a great start, but we still love them. There's still a long season left, and all that matters is September. We'll be playing then. So there are two unusual plays in baseball, and I'm not a baseball um, expert, but there are two plays related to sacrifices, the sacrifice plays. A batter will bunt the ball and most likely be thrown out at first just to get another runner advanced in position or maybe even try to get somebody to score. He's sacrificing his time at the plate, probably going to be thrown out so that someone else on the team can move and score. Or the batter may pop up with a sacrifice fly and give runners an opportunity to tag up and, and maybe score. The player at bat is sacrificing for the good of the team, usually when they need it most. And as I did a little research on this, I found out that these sacrifice plays are becoming less and less common. They were huge in the 20s and 30s. I wasn't watching then, those of you that think I'm that old. But they were really big back in the day. And then somewhere around the 50s, they started declining. And once the designated hitter came in, they kind of have dropped off quite a bit. There are very few sacrifice plays left. I wonder if it's a little bit about ego and guys wanting to get more home runs at the plate instead of making a sacrifice. But those who are willing to give it all for their team without being appreciated make sacrifices. And in today's message, we're going to see Jonah make a huge sacrifice. And the question is, is he doing it for good purposes or is he just doing what he thinks needs to be done? As we've been going through the book of Jonah, we've been talking about running from God's grace. And the theme of grace is woven throughout this book. It's a, called a minor prophet because it's a short book. It's only four chapters. But we have a powerful message from this prophet who shares his real story. It talks about how Jonah doesn't really care about the spiritual lost, spiritually lost. But it talks about the importance of all of us having compassion and care for the people around us and the importance of sharing God's love. Throughout the narrative, God's sovereignty is shown over and over again. He has a plan for the whole world, and he specifically had a plan for Jonah and his life. And he has a plan for your life, the way it's going to go. Are you going to follow his will? Are you going to seek to obey him? Or are you going to go your own way, as Jonah did? Last week, we saw Jonah wrestling with a pretty simple question. Who are you? How did you get on this boat? Who are your people? And Jonah introduced himself primarily as, I'm a Hebrew. His nationality was the most important thing to him. 
And it really didn't show that he loved or cared for the people on the ship with him very much. But today, he surprisingly makes a huge sacrifice. Is it out of anguish or was it really out of love? If you missed any of the previous messages in this Jonah series, you can find them on our website, Facebook, YouTube. If you're watching online, you can just click on any of those previous messages and you can get caught up. In the bulletin is a place where you can take notes and there are some QR codes in there if you like taking pictures of things. You can find the website and the links that way. So if you would turn with me to the book of Jonah, he's sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah near the end of the Old Testament uh, on your, in the black Bibles in front of you, it's page 726, and if you have one of the red or maroon Bibles, it's page 920, but we're going to read from Jonah chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 10 to 17 as we wrap up this first chapter, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the sacrifice again that you made in sending your son Jesus. And Lord, as we hear your word this morning, as we see the sacrifice that Jonah is going to make, we want to have ears that are open to hear. We want to have hearts that are soft and tender. And Lord, as we look into the mirror of your word, as we see things reflected there that don't belong in our lives, as we see disobedience, help us to be willing to change, to invite you into our lives, to turn them around, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word this morning and that you would be glorified in all that we say and do this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 10 to 17. I'm backing up a verse just so you see where we're coming from. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to them, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Great words today. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The captain, the crew of this sinking ship were terrified for their lives. The wind is threatening to topple the mast and break the ship in half. The waves are crashing over it. But they're still gracious and kind to Jonah. 
If you were here in the previous messages, they had cast lots. They threw stones. They drew straws. They did something. And that pointed to Jonah as the source of the problem. They could have just killed him immediately. But they took the time to say, who are you? What's your story? How did we get here? And now that Jonah has told them specifically, yes, it's because of me, they say, well, what do we need to do? Again, these are pagans. These are not followers of God. They could have just immediately killed him and got rid of the body. Nobody would have known. But they have compassion. They have care. And that's helping us contrast to see Jonah, the prophet, the man of God, and how little he cared for the people around him. These men say, Jonah, we want to understand why this evil storm is ravaging our ship. And Jonah told them he was running from God, the God who created the land and sea. And so now, what do we do to calm this storm? We have to do something to appease this God because if he created the storm, if he created the land, he's the source of this storm. Only he can fix this. They didn't just try to appease their pagan gods which is normally what happens. If there's a problem, you sacrifice someone to those pagan gods. They were always after someone's life. <clears throat> In verse 12, Jonah answers the men, here's what you need to do. Hurl me into the sea. And the word hurl shows up over and over again. God hurled the storm at them, and they, he says, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will be calm again. Jonah had complete confidence that this would happen. God hurled the storm. The crew hurled the cargo. Hurl me into the sea. Jonah admits that it's his fault. He's the reason they're facing death and peril in this storm. And the question now is, does Jonah make this sacrifice out of fear? Is that out of true goodness? Or is it simply a desire to just get it all over with? Jonah was hiding in the bottom of the ship, sleeping, thinking he could just avoid all of these things. Maybe he's thinking, why don't I just end it all? I'm running from God. There's this storm. Why bother living anymore? Or has he begun to see these people around him differently? They're not Israelites. They're sailors from another nation. They don't worship the true God. And he's starting to see them in a different light. He could have ended his life at any point. Why bother getting on the ship and trying to run from God? He could have just jumped off a cliff. So I don't think he was in that state where he just wanted it all over with. I think God was softening his heart. He saw these men cry out to their gods. He saw them wanting to be saved, and he knew that those false idols, those things of wood and stone carved by man's hands could do absolutely nothing for them. Those inanimate objects couldn't stop a storm. And Jonah watched that. He saw their fear. He saw them doing everything they possibly could to avoid hurting him. He saw their mercy and their kindness. 
the way they asked him respectfully. They treated him gently. They wanted to get to know him and understand better what this problem was that they all faced. Jonah was running from the problem, he thought, avoiding the people that are in the boat with him, and they're saying, you're one of us. How can we help you? What do we need to do? How can we stop this storm? Even after Jonah says, just hurl me into the sea and it'll all be over, they still rowed harder and harder. These men wanted to save his life. They cared about someone that they hardly knew. They didn't give up on trying to save Jonah until finally they saw, well, this must be God's plan. And they cry out in compassion, Lord, don't let his blood be on us. This is our last resort. We don't want to do this. Please have mercy on us, God. I think Jonah is now moved to at least pity as he sees these helpless men doing everything in their power to save everyone else. Jonah is beginning to think about others instead of just himself. And miraculously, he's willing to do the right thing. He's willing to sacrifice himself instead of seeing these men who he knows are innocent of this storm. It's not their fault. And he says, just hurl me into the sea. So we see a pattern of love developing. Jonah was willing to take on the wrath of the storm, the wrath of God, so that the crew didn't have to continue to face it, so they wouldn't be destroyed. True love meets the needs of others regardless of the cost. Life-changing love is substitutionary love, sacrificial love. That's what's real love. Love is not hoping that someone will do something for me, but love is saying, I'm going to do everything I can for you, even if you never pay it back. Parents make sacrifices throughout their lives, and that's a great example for us. Those of you that are parents or hope to be parents or grandparents, you know all of the things that you've done for your kids, and hopefully you don't keep telling them that because they don't need to keep hearing that and feeling the guilt. But you do these things with little concern for yourself, all for the sake of your children. Even unredeemed, unbelieving parents know that they need to make sacrifices. They put their careers on hold. They may not take another job to avoid uprooting their family and, and moving somewhere. They may hold off on anniversary vacations while other things are needed for the family. They may stretch the budget even thinner just so that they could get another set of braces. Making the old car last longer instead of feeling good about yourself driving around in something shiny and new, you keep letting that minivan go a little longer. Hours and hours of reading books that are so hard to read sometimes. Green Eggs and Ham. It's a good book, but how many times can you read it? You know how it ends, right? We read these books over and over again, and our kids are with us today, and we love reading with you. You know, as a parent, that the more you read with your kids, the more that they're going to understand and be able to communicate. It's going to set them up for life. 
So we make those sacrifices. We play with them. We get down on the floor. We step on pointy Legos. We watch sports. I talked about baseball. Baseball was the hardest for us to watch because it never ended. When you're in that early season after t-ball and into kid pitch, you know, just trying to get the kids to get the ball over the plate, and the game seemed to go on forever and ever and ever. Going to dances and recitals and being the taxi, taking your kids all around. Parents put their children ahead of themselves with the hope that they will succeed, thrive on their own, and listen to this, kids, move out. Go out and start a life of your own. I see you, John. That's part of the goal of parenting is getting our kids ready to take that next step and become responsible adults who start their own families and we want to see them succeed. So we sacrifice. We love our kids. And on Mother's Day, which is next week, and Father's Day, which is a month from now, we remember those sacrifices and we tell our parents, thank you. Thank you for all of those things that you've done for us. Parents do this out of love. They know they're not going to get paid back. And those little things that you do, kids, the pictures that we can hang up in our offices or put on the fridge or those little notes that let us know that we're loved just mean so much. But we would keep doing it even without that. That's a pattern of love, of sacrificial love. In Scripture, God describes himself in parenting terms, just so that we can understand this and see how much he loves us and how little he expects from us. I have a whole bunch of verses, and I don't think I'm going to read every one of them. I may just read them fast, but let all of this sink in as you hear God's word. Just be ready to keep them rolling, Robert. Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in whom he delights. Hebrews 12.7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And the word discipline means educate or teach. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I... God will not forget you. Ephesians 1.5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We have this beautiful picture in scripture of God adopting us, choosing us to be his sons and his daughters and lavishing love on us just like he loves his own son. Romans 8, 15 to 17, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Papa. It's a term of love and endearment. 
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. God's grand redemption plan, which is woven throughout Scripture, throughout time, continued to show this pattern of sacrificial love. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his promised son Isaac to show his obedience and his faith, his trust in God. Joseph suffered as a slave, as a prisoner, completely unjustly, before he was lifted up into a position where he could save not only his family, but the people surrounding Egypt in the Middle East. Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God. Even though he had a position as a prince in the palace, he faced the wrath of Pharaoh just to be part of the redemption plan. The prophets placed themselves in great peril. They preached unpopular messages of repentance, and instead of seeking their own comfort, they were faithful to serve God and to share a message that even though it was unwelcomed, was lovingly just what the people needed to hear. God gave us the perfect pattern of sacrificial love, of course, and he calls us to love others that same way. We see in Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus is answering the scribes and the Pharisees. They want to see another sign. They've been in Jerusalem and they've sent out their spies from time to time to see Jesus in action. And these guys come back reporting, yes, we saw him heal a blind man. We saw him restore a lame man's legs. He's preaching a call to repentance. He's preaching the kingdom of God is coming. And so these guys in their ivory palace, the scribes and the Pharisees say, Jesus, we want to see some of these miracles. Show us a sign. Let us believe that you really are the Messiah that you say you are. Listen to how Jesus answers them in Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus has called himself something greater than Jonah. And just a quick aside, people who say this story of Jonah was just an allegory, Jesus himself is saying, remember the prophet Jonah? He was in the belly of the fish for three days. This was a real thing. This is how Scripture proves Scripture when we see the New Testament referring back to the Old Testament. And here's Jesus himself saying, this really happened. But standing before you, is one greater than Jonah. There are a lot of parallels and 
there are a lot of differences between Jonah and Jesus, of course. You can look at this more. We can talk about it tonight at Growth Group, but here's just a couple of them. Jonah was willing to die. Jesus was willing to die, and he actually did die. Jonah was guilty. He was running from God. He deserved to die. But Jesus was completely innocent. God chose to save Jonah, and he did it miraculously through this huge fish that swallowed him up and saved him from drowning. Jesus wept in the garden and said, Father, if there's any other way, please save me from this horrible death on the cross and being separated from you for this time. But the Father didn't save Jesus from dying. He had to go through with the cross, not only so that he could die for our sins, but that he could rise again. If Jesus had come down from the cross as those that ridiculed him, he would not have saved us. If the Father had said, let me save you from this pain, this suffering, then we wouldn't be here today. Because Jesus was willing to die, because God was willing to sacrifice his own son, we have redemption, forgiveness. We have new life through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, this great picture, Jonah was in the belly of the fish underwater for three days and three nights. And Jesus prophesied over and over again, the Savior, the Messiah, will die and I'll be in the ground for three days and three nights. God orchestrated all of this just to make these connections so that we could look back and say, wow, there's another picture of our redemption. Here's another picture of God's love, sacrificial love. God calmed the storm immediately. The passage tells us that as soon as Jonah was hurled, say it with me, he was hurled, it's just fun saying that word, isn't it? Even if you're not from the 80s. He was hurled into the sea, total calm. The wind stopped, probably the clouds disappeared, and it was just peaceful and calm again. God's wrath on Jonah that was being taken out on the ship and everybody in it was appeased by Jonah being thrown into the sea. God's wrath was satisfied when Jesus died on the cross. Today, that's a tough message. No one wants to hear about the wrath of God. In fact, people often say the Old Testament God was all about lightning bolts and hurricanes and earthquakes and wrath. And then Jesus comes along and he just preaches love. And people have pictures of Jesus carrying flowers like he was just walking around saying, just love everybody. Jesus called people to repentance. That meant he said, you are sinners in need of forgiveness. You need to be saved from God's wrath. Without God's wrath, there would be no need for Christ's death. Without his wrath for sin, we wouldn't appreciate his compassionate, sacrificial love. Grace and mercy wouldn't exist if there was not wrath and payment for sin. So as believers today, we should embrace and appreciate the enormity of the wrath of God on the sin of the world. It should create compassion in us for those who are lost and in need of salvation. 
Verse 41 says that the men of Nineveh repented when they heard the preaching of Jonah. They heard the call of repentance and they stopped. But Jesus called the spiritual leaders of his day to repentance and they ignored it. In fact, they said, let's get rid of this guy. Let's see him killed. The greatest prophet ever to speak for God was Jesus. And he said, I am greater than the prophet Jonah. I'm here as God himself, and I'm bringing to you a message of repentance, deliverance, and salvation. He brought the gospel. So I started talking about God's wrath already just because I was excited about sharing it. But back in Jonah 1.15, it says, the calm, the calm came immediately. There was no question that this was a supernatural storm. The sailors knew that already, and now they saw that as soon as they did what Jonah told them, their problem was solved. Just as soon, suddenly as the storm came upon them, it just as quickly dissipated. The sailors respond by fearing God, and they offer a sacrifice to God. It says they made vows, they made promises to God as well. And I would say that's an indication that this was real faith. You've heard of foxhole confessions, men in battle saying, God, if you'd save me from this, I will follow you. We make promises, and sometimes we do that in other places in our lives when we're in a tough spot. Lord, if you'd only help me pass this test, I'll do this for you. We try to make deals with God. These men didn't try to make deals ahead of time. They reached out to God afterwards, after the storm is gone, and they see the miracle that God has given them grace. He saved them, and they respond by saying, God, thank you. Whatever it is we need to do, we're going to follow you. I believe these men, by faith, are saved. They've trusted in the God who saved them. God was working all of these things in providence. He knew that he was going to calm the sea as soon as Jonah obeyed. And it was a clear sign that God's anger was towards this rebellious, unmerciful prophet because it ended as soon as he was hurled into the sea. Jesus' sacrifice is called the propitiation for our sins. I'm just going to reference those passages. I'm not going to read them right now because I don't want to say propitiation over and over again. That's a tough one. Romans 3.25, Hebrews 2.17, 1 John 2.2, 1 John 4.10, Romans 8.1. Propitiation talks about satisfying a payment. That's what Jesus did. His blood paid the penalty for our sins. His blood gave us the opportunity to be righteous or be made right with God, to go from having a life of wrath and anger between us and God to a life of peace with God, to being able to talk to the creator of the universe, and call him Abba, Father. 
to call out to him in love. Jesus took the punishment for us. He died in our place. He took God's wrath. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We stand before him no longer condemned by our sin, but saved by Jesus' blood. A lot of famous preachers out there today talk about Jesus' love. And you'll recognize them by their big smiles and their poofy hair. All they talk about is love, 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 and God just loves you and he wants your life to be perfect. I don't have poofy hair or a great smile. But that is not loving people. People everywhere need to know that God's wrath towards sin needs to be satisfied. That every one of us is born separated from God by our sin. There's a deep chasm that nothing can fill. All of your good works could just be thrown in there and you'd never hear them hit the bottom. But Jesus' blood, his cross, if you've ever seen that picture, covers that chasm. And it gives us the opportunity to have peace with God, to be forgiven of our sins, and for his wrath to be satisfied. Because our God is just, he can't ignore sin. He can't sweep it under the rug and say, that's okay, I forgive you, don't worry about it. Jesus had to die for you and for me. So that's why we talk about love and we say, wasn't that great that God did that for us? But it's because the wrath needed to be satisfied. We can't really appreciate his love his mercy and his sacrifice without knowing why Jesus needed to do it. It's not until I'm humbly willing to admit that I'm a sinner headed for an eternity away from God, headed to hell. Then I can understand my desperate need for a Savior. Not that I'm saying, okay, God, I'm joining your team. Aren't you glad to have me? It's, it's you've saved me. And we are willing to point others to a Savior who has saved us. We don't want to think about Jesus just being a convenient add-on. Your life is just going to be so much happier and better if you just join the team. You're going to have peace with God. You're going to be forgiven. But Scripture tells us over and over again, we're going to still face storms. We're going to face difficulties. But God is in the boat with us. He promises to give us courage and to go through whatever we face. Jonah, like us, wanted God on his own terms. He enjoyed being a Hebrew. He enjoyed being one of the chosen people. He was willing to share God's message as a prophet, but only with the people he liked. Only when the message was one that he was in favor of. The people that he wanted to see saved would be saved. That was a message he didn't mind sharing. But like us, Jonah wouldn't fully surrender to God. He didn't want to rub shoulders with those people. He didn't want to go to them and share a message of repentance. He didn't want to call them to be saved because they just might do it. I don't want to see them saved. They deserve their punishment like I don't. We are often willing to obey God when it's something we like, something we're comfortable with, something we think, I can handle this. I'll do this for you, God, no problem, because I've got it. 
Are you willing to step out in faith into a scary place and say, I can't do this without you, God? That's what he's calling us to, to be disciples who are willing to step out and say, whatever it is, God, that's what I want to do. To take a leap of faith and believe that he's going to care for us and that what he has planned for us is so much better than what we could have come up with ourselves. As Jonah was hurled into the sea, God's wrath was satisfied, and God sovereignly appointed a great fish to swallow him up. That was the whole purpose of this fish. God watched this fish start out as an egg that grew into a little baby fish and get bigger and bigger and bigger, and whether this was supernatural or whether it just was a huge fish, we don't know. But this fish was big enough to swallow a man whole, and Jonah was in the belly of this fish, not drowning, but he was suffering. It wasn't a good place to be. God's plan was to save Jonah when he was finally willing to sacrifice himself for the good of others. Jonah's heart is starting to be tenderized, it's starting to be softened to the people around him, and he's willing to die. He didn't know about the plan with the fish. He just said, throw me overboard. He assumed he would die, but God had a plan. And God sent this huge fish to swallow him up. He didn't chew him first. He was whole, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Next week is Mother's Day. We're going to talk about moms and women of the Bible, but the week after that, we'll pick up again with our Jonah story. So I hope you will come back for that. Some questions and some thoughts as we wrap up. Is your love for others superficial? Is it selfish? Is it always conditional based on how they're going to react? Is it manipulative, possessive, demanding, belittling, guilt-producing? Is that what you think love is? Our pattern for real love comes from God and God himself. He is love. Sacrificial love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It isn't irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoings. It rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the kind of love God calls us to. Choosing to love after God's pattern will not only strengthen your relationships with those around you, but it's going to show the life-changing power of the gospel. When people see you loving that way, when they experience that love for you, they're going to say, I want that love too. And you'll have an opportunity to share the gospel. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you've never seen yourself as a sinner who needs to be forgiven. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never accepted Jesus' death on the cross as payment for your sins, I would invite you to do that today. If you're watching online, you can contact me through the website. If you're here today and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, come on down to the front at the end of the service. We can walk up during the song I'll stop and talk to you and pray with you, but we'd love to see that happen today. 
Are you living your life to serve others as Jesus did? Or are you waiting for people to serve you? That's another way we show love is by putting others first. And then finally, based on God's love and mercy to you, do you have compassion for the lost? Are you willing to share the gospel with people like you and people unlike you? We talked about those who are other people who are different from us, who have different values, different standards, different everything. Do you think they deserve God's love as much as you do? The answer is yes. Ask God to soften your heart, to change your heart, so that you would be willing to share with him. So if you need to make a decision about salvation today, come on forward. If there's something else you want to pray about on your own, or if you want someone to pray with you, any of these things, feel free to come up to these first couple of pews during the closing song and take some time to pray and talk to your Heavenly Father. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing that closing song and then there's still some time for coffee. Make sure you stop and talk to the Robins. They're going to be here for Sunday school as well. We'd love to have you find a class. If you're here for the first time, stop at the Welcome Center and they'll tell you if there's a kid's class or an adult class uh, that you would like to be part of. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your sacrificial love that you, the creator of the universe, the great I am, would be willing to come to the earth you created to live amongst your people and sacrifice yourself for us. Thank you, God, for Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you that he was willing to suffer and die for my sins, for the sins of the world. And Lord, I just pray that anyone who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would say thank you. They would accept Jesus' payment for their sins. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to love and care for those around us, that we wouldn't keep this amazing sacrificial love to ourselves, but we would share it with everyone that we come in contact with. To Jesus, the Redeemer who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father. To Jesus, the only Son of God, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.